Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Well, hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer, and as always, I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard. Hi, Paul. Hi, Peter. In this uh, coronavirus-mad world that we're uh, all starting to get to get to used to, I guess uh, won't be too long before you and I, Peter, in um, self-quarantine. But uh, <laughs> look, one thing I do note, I mean, we've seen the... Is, this a, where, is that wishful thinking? Uh, so, well, so, yeah. Was a, he was to socially distance himself from me. You're a nasty piece of business, Richard. Next time we record this, Peter, we'll have to be. We've done some programs. We've been at the right distance apart. I think. Yeah. I think more of that's required. But anyhow, yeah. look. We know that uh, cent- central banks are responding. We've seen the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve slash their interest rate to zero percent, uh, and now governments are throwing money out. We've got our own stimulus package here in Australia: seventeen point six billion dollars, and that includes. A handout of seven hundred and fifty dollars to pensioners and other people on uh, social security, about six and a half million Australians, mm. plus some incentives for small business and things like the instant asset write-off, which are going to help. Do you think they're going to have to do more of this? Yep, definitely. Yeah, you go back to the GFC, Paul, and um, in two thousand eight, October two thousand eight, uh, the Rudd government threw about ten point four billion at um, a stimulus package, and then by February they realised it wasn't enough, and they came up with forty two billion. Mm. I think Josh Frydenberg and Scott Morrison is going to have to find a lot more than $17.6 billion, particularly because the containment policies are more um, draconian than most of us thought. And, you know, when you, you're, you're knocking back gatherings of 500 and now 100, um, you know, you're of the belief that schools will be closed. Um, oh, look, I think it's inevitable, Peter, just because there's, there's so much pressure. But I think we're all going to go mad at home. I mean, there's only so much Netflix, only so many series you can watch, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. like, uh, can you imagine when parents are home with their kids and, oh, dear, know, dear. Can, can can the NBN cope, Peter, right? Yeah. What's going to happen when all the kids are online wanting to download their favourite thing on Netflix yeah. and... The, the, real, the real benefit for all of this will be is that all parents will start to respect school teachers again. <laughs> when you're hanging out with your kids for two weeks at home, you know, not in a holiday environment, there's going to be a good reason for, for parents to really respect what school teachers put up with on a, on a daily basis. But I've got to say, Paul, I, I'm hoping that this um, coronavirus effect is limited to a month or two um, and then we get the, the impact of the stimulus really pumping up the economy, you know, rolling into the second half of this year. But at the moment, stock markets are spooked. We well, you know who we can go to, of course, and probably someone who's got a great handle on what's happening in the economy, of course, is our first guest, Jerry Harvey. Yeah, Jerry, without a doubt, will be able to tell us what's actually going on at the coalface. Um, and we'll be talking to him uh, in a not-too-distant future. Then we'll be talking to um, another sort of an angle on what's going on there out in the economy. Um, Raj uh, Nanda and Ralph Hobbs from an art gallery business called Nanda Hobbs. And there is a link, isn't there, between the health of a stock market Mm. and the interest in high-value assets like artwork or collectibles like cars and whatever. Well, you know, my view, Peter, I I find it hard to believe that 
these sort of assets aren't a little bit correlated. So when you get a big mm. shake-up in one market, say the share market, you do start to see the impacts in other markets, be it either the art market, and I reckon we'll see a bit in the home yeah. market, the property market. Yep. It just take longer to transmit. But, uh, you know, and that's why we hope that the shake-up in the share market is over quickly. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't cause too much uh, damage in other markets yep. and uh, and people get a bit worried. But, yep. uh, look, I'm interested to see what, what he's seen because the art for investors, one of the most successful places you can have invested over the last couple of decades is in high, fine art, right? Yep, so yep. it's a and what I'm I'm interested to find out is whether the kind of indicators you might use to find a great share and a great company are those kinds of indicators out there for great artists? You know, are they plottable? Do you see what they've done, say, ten years ago, five years mm. ago, and you look at the trend? Because as we know, often the trend is your friend. Until it bends. Well, all I know, Peter, is I don't have a creative something rather in no, my you body. Don't. You don't. I hated art. The thing yeah. I hated most at school was when you had to do drawing or something, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that. that, that it shows, it, Paul. It shows. You, I absolutely loathed guy. it. So yeah. I would know nothing about art, but. Uh, well, I, of course, I, I, of course <laughs> I did first level art, just showing you how similar we are, you and me, but still, it means that we're a good team. But I do, what I do know, if I wanted to look at art, and I do know as an investment class, you've got to go to the right people, right? Yeah, and uh, for sure. it's, uh, that's somewhere, you know, these sort of the type of people that yeah, may be able to help, but look, yeah. let's... So you don't respect the art itself, but you respect the potential to make money out of it. That sounds like I just like know I didn't like drawing. Okay. I just, just, just okay. hate All right, we, get out, we, get, we understand. I'm not over okay. that yet. I okay. S- I still have. I still recall being told that he's got issues. He's got issues. This guy. All right. Finally, we talked to a young woman who doesn't have issues. Her name is Felicity Fury, and she's really sort of empowering women to get into engineering. And she has a, a not-for-profit called Power of Engineering. So that's my type of thing, right? Yeah. STEM, right? Science, technology. Uh, engineering, engineering and, and mathematics. And mathematics. Yeah. There you go. You yeah. You're not good at drawing or remembering acronyms. So that's the show for the day. Our first guest on the program is Jerry Harvey, and it comes at a time when the coronavirus is clearly having a, a big, at least future, impact on the Aussie economy. And I'm keen to know how it's affecting his business right now. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So how's it going, Jerry? How's the coronavirus affecting business right now? Well, I've just put out a notice to the ASX this morning um, and the Australian sales for March um, are up 9.1% uh, month to date. So um, New Zealand sales are up 12.9%. Ireland's up 53%. Uh, Croatia's up 1%. Northern Ireland's down 12.4%. Singapore's down 1%, and Malaysia's up 19.5%. The interesting thing is that uh, the same products that people... You talk about the toilet paper thing, that's happened in Australia, but it's happening in other parts of the world as well. Then we sell freezers. We sell, they're up 300%, um, and we're out of freezers. If I had 5,000 freezers here today, I could sell them in one day. Uh, but the same thing is happening in Ireland and New Zealand. So what's happening right across the world is the same in every country. The herd mentality of humans is quite interesting. So, so Jerry, you, you mentioned freezers. What other products are going off the shelf? 
Oh, just right across the board. But it's more in electrical and computer than it is in furniture bedding. So, Jerry, I was going to say, ask whether the government's stimulus package is going to help, but clearly that hasn't even started yet. You're getting enough uh, stimulus just out of the reaction to the uh, to the virus. I mean, where do you see this sort of heading? I mean, uh, because uh, this this can't be uh, you know, sustained. sustained, can it? Well, if you're in the right industry at the moment, say you're a farmer, um, you've just been through drought and bushfires. It's rain. You've got grass all over the place. You've got cattle and sheep eating it, and you're and you're so happy. And someone says, "What about coronavirus?" You don't care. <laughs> I've got grass. I've got my animals. Right? Coronavirus. If I get it, I just get better. Who cares? Mm. So, if so you're says a, farmer, a guy who's got a dairy farm. <laughs> well, but it's, it's if you're a farmer, you're mm. in a now if. If you've got a restaurant, you're in a horrible place. Mm. If you've got a travel agency, you're in a horrible place. If you own an air- airline, you're in a horrible place. So certain parts of the community are in a very good place. Mm. And then certain parts of the community are in a very bad place. So now you've got to look at it and say, how do we fix this problem? Mm. And And so we're going to see things that we've never seen in our lifetimes in terms of quantitative easing. I've never seen that in Australia. That's going to come. Mm. But um, Jerry, do you, do you think that the, the concerns are over the top? Well, they're not over the top for people that are in the industries that are being badly affected. This is a, like an unknown thing that came from left field and you're the best businessman in Australia and you can't cope with it. Mm. And then you're the worst businessman in Australia, you're in the right sector and you're doing really well. So the government has got a huge problem. Business, the most important thing we've got to do is keep people employed, keep all of us little people out there, the ants running, you know, the economy works because if all the people are working, Right, and they're all out there industrious, working and going. The economy will be fine, but when you get when you get the people not working, and and they're living on um, uh, handouts from the government, so that that's a bad situation. And the government doesn't want to do that if it can help it. So, but but either the government employs them then, or business does. So as long as you can keep the economy going, so then there's a very good thought came from Tony Shepherd this morning. I was talking to him and he said, whatever you do, get the government to try and suspend the super guarantee, the 9.5% for six months, and then give that as a wage rise to all your people straight away. And I thought, that's a bloody good idea. Mm. Um, so... Um, um, that way, you're putting another nine and a, you're giving them a nine and a half percent pay rise, and that goes out to all the consumers, all the workers out there, and it gives them a nine and a half percent pay rise. What a good idea! And the super funds um, just suspend the money coming in, and they're taking a hiding at the moment anyway, mm. and, and and this might help them in the long term as well. And Everyone, the economy, it sounds like a good idea to me. And then you've got stupid taxes like payroll tax. Why have we got a payroll tax? You know, we're one of the, I'm, not, I'm not sure any other country in the world's got a payroll tax. 
So you you tax. They actually do, Jerry, but you're right. It's still one of the dumbest taxes known to mankind to penalise people for giving people a job. So so you said, uh, Jerry, that the government should do more to get people, um, you know, keep people in work. You talked about some ideas around superannuation. We've seen Qantas this morning saying they're going to lay off most of their staff, but they're doing a lot of... uh, helping out with leave and all those sort of things. I mean, what, what else do you think the government can do? Well, the government, we are over-regulated to buggery. And, and the Hain Royal Commission, why probably in the long run, when you look at it, you'll say it may have done more damage yeah. than good. Mm. So the, the, the media's out there and everyone's, oh, yeah, you know, those rotten banks and all that sort of thing. Guess what? We need those banks right now. They're very important things to have. Very strong banks to lend people money and to keep them in business. So let's not hammer the banks. Let's not give them a billion-dollar fine at the moment, thanks. Mm. We need them. And and, and so uh, you're trying to do the right thing, Mr Hayne, but unfortunately in the long term, maybe you've done more damage than good. Mm. sounded good, but at the end of the day, when people have got to eat and they need a job, guess what? Yep, banks are critically important. Now, now Jerry, um, given the fact that there is going to be a lot of stimulus thrown into the economy, if this coronavirus actually dissipates over, say, a two-month period, do you think there'll be a, a lot of sort of multiplier effect in the economy that will actually help your business rolling into, say, the December quarter and 2021? Well, we don't know. I was watching CNBC this morning and all the experts in the world telling us what might or might not happen and in the end all saying, don't know. Mm. So, you know, you're a brave man to get out there and make a prediction at the moment when you don't know what you're talking about. It's an unknown. This is a, it hasn't happened in our lifetimes. So all we do know is that we will come back this is a virus that looks like it might last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine months or something. We don't know. Uh, it might last more than nine months. But uh, we don't know what to do. So what we've got to do in the meantime is get up every day, go to work, do the best we can, you know, and just just get on with it. Yep. So, Jerry, the government's announced a stimulus package. They're uh, increasing the... Uh, instant asset write-off and some accel- changes in accelerated depreciation. What does that mean for your your business? Well, the interesting thing is if our sales are where they are now and then you inject a lot more money into the economy, you would think that that would be good for Harvey Norman. Um, so I'm looking at it and thinking to myself, well, you know, we're just going to keep battling along and doing as well as we're doing and hoping it lasts. It looks pretty good. But then I feel very sorry for the bloke that's got the travel agent down the mm. down the road or the restaurant down the road and his, his sales have just halved and things like that. So then I say to the guy running the restaurant, mate, open a cooking school. Everyone's <laughs> at home. Right? They're all at home and and they've got to learn to cook again. Well, and, they, and You're right, Jerry. There are going to be a lot of things that – we're going to start to do virtually, I guess. I mean, uh, if people sitting at home, they're going to be get so bored so quickly, they're going to be looking for all sorts of things. So I guess that's a, that there's going to be a new entrepreneur that's going to come out of all this. Well, the other thing my wife said to me, now you go down the nursery and start planting more vegetables, okay? <laughs> so I've got my own fruit and vegetable patch and and 
and we have something out of our garden pretty much every day of the week. And and so now she said to me, you just make sure you get down there and plant some more stuff. And and so if everyone does that, there'll be some more fresh food and they'll learn how to be a gardener. That'll be good. All right, Jerry, just getting away from your, your backyard garden, which, of course, I, I have seen is absolutely enormous. Have have you and Katie and the executive team got together, and before these numbers came through, and 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 did some risk management stuff, because you know, as you say, you don't know what's going to happen, but you still can't sit around and say, well, let's twiddle my thumbs and wait to see what happens. Well, Kate, the other night, I I stayed asleep all night, but she got up at one o'clock, and then she worked through till three. Then she got an hour's sleep. Then she got up at five and came into work. And she was like, I've never seen her more energized. Mm. And so, like, she's looking at this and thinking, how are we going to get out of this in a nice and positive way? How can we benefit by doing this? Like, she's charged, like, she's just had the electric charge of the battery put into her. And, 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 and she's all revved up. And I'm I'm starting to catch the same thing, and I think this is a great opportunity. Mm. So just look for all the positives. You'll get belted around the ears, in the but in the term. meantime, mm. you're going to look at. Let's look at the long term. Mm. So ten days ago, I bought, I picked out fifteen stocks, and I put a million into each one, and I thought they were good stocks, and I hit the bottom of the market. Yeah. And guess what? That fifteen millions now turned into about nine. Say, <laughs> so, Jerry, no, I, don't I, you laugh? That's but, all right, but, laughing. But Jerry, you... I offered you the Switzer report, and you said you didn't need it. <laughs> well, that just shows you how dumb I am. <laughs> Jerry, I, I, was, I was crying for myself as well when you yeah. said that. So, yeah, Paul's nibbled in as well. Paul's nibbled in as well. Hey, I tell you what, one thing I, I've always said is that behind every successful man is a pretty surprised woman. But in your case, behind a successful woman is a, is a sleeping bloke. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you've got a wife that you readily agree is smarter than you. Exactly right. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure that that gives her a very high level of intellect. But anyway, who knows? No, you're not bad. You're not bad. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Now, Jerry, thanks for joining us on the, on the program. And uh, it's good to hear that things aren't as bad as what, what people are predicting. And I, and I hope the good news keeps on coming on. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Well, it's time for a word from our sponsor. And the sponsor this week is the wonderful report called the Switzer Report. Why don't you tell people about it, Paul? Yeah, look, we, the Switzer Report is something that uh, we publish three times a week, Mondays, Thursdays and Saturdays. Yep. And we try to help you navigate the world of investment. So uh, we like to uh, look at the different opportunities, particularly around shares, but also we, we touch on some of the asset classes and give you our thoughts as to how you can position your portfolios, what you can buy and sell, what the different opportunities are in those markets. So uh, we, we focus it on from, you know, very much from a personal investor's point of view. Mm. I've got X amount of money. What do I do? We try to help you navigate that sort of yeah. the ups and downs of the market i guess and we have a team of experts who pretty well you know are involved in the market 24 7 and they give you their best ideas and over the years uh, they've done very well paul if someone wants to sign up for the switch report how do they do it well they go to uh, switzerreport.com.au you can actually take a free a free trial yeah. uh, a four-week trial uh, our subscription price is just 397 dollars a year so that's less than uh 
Most things. A couple of dollars a week or something. <laughs> I can't work that up. So I never thought about you that. You can't draw and yeah. apparently you can't do maths. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm better. Okay. I'm going to have some talent. It's about four right? bucks a week. Yeah, it's about it? four bucks a week. Right. Anyhow, look, we've, we've been doing this for, for a number of years and we've had great feedback from our subscribers, a mm. very loyal group of subscribers. And, of course, we throw in that gets you, uh, if you take out a, a subscription to the Switzer Super Report, uh, you're, you're welcome at all our conferences and our events. Uh, which currently have been cancelled. Temporarily been cancelled, but uh, there's a whole lot more. So uh, yeah. we, you're our, uh, well, we look after you. You become the, the inner sanctum of and, the Switzer community. And it, we, just to get the ad in, it's switzerreport, all one word, dot com dot au. Okay, our next guest is, um, well, it's actually a team of guests. It's uh, Ralph Hobbs and Raj Nanda, and they have a business called Nanda Hobbs. Guys, thanks for coming in the program. Thank you. All right, so uh, I guess people want to know who is Nanda Hobbs, but also at the same time they want to know why a couple of blokes like you, normal blokes, are in the art world. (laughs) (laughs) Especially yeah, you, Ralph. Yeah, You're yeah, a very yeah. normal bloke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Misspent youth. No, it's um, so our background. Uh, we've been we've been going for over 15, 16 years now. Yeah, um, sixteen years. We're a combination of fine arts um, background, education. But you look like a rugby player. You don't yeah, look I do like that as well. Yeah, yeah, at all. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a certain art around scrummaging. So yeah, it's uh, you yeah. are a rugby player. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, the dark arts of it. Um, no, so my background in fine arts and sport. Rugby rowing, mm. that sort of thing. Uh, a Renaissance um, bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, p- apparently, <laughs> not, not according to my wife. But anyway, the uh, uh, but uh, and Raj's background in finance, structured finance, and investment so, banking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a, ba- a banker in art. Yeah. That's yeah. that's right. So I think that's where that's where we're unique. Mm. We we bring the, the focus of, of the art world as well as the finance world together. Yeah, and in many ways, you know. You know, Paul and myself, in, in terms of our financial services business, we always recommend that people you know, invest in quality assets. And typically for us, quality assets are great stocks, great properties. And I, and I was actually thinking that really when you think about quality art can be a great investment as well. And because you're ex-Macquarie, Raj, explain to us what you think is the quality asset that can be found in the art world. Okay. Um, I know it's a hard question, but too bad. You have to answer it. <laughs> it is a hard question. Um, at Macquarie, I, I was the, one of the founding members of, of the Infrastructure Trust of Australia and then, then a general manager of another fund. And that's where Macquarie took um, infrastructure and, and took it to the market to mums and dads to mm. say that here's an alternative asset yeah. that you should be looking at. Similarly, that's what we've done with art. We've said... Uh, you know, why don't more people look at art as an investment and, and why don't they have it in their portfolios? And so one of the things was education and we started to grow the market. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, we said, let's let's do some more analysis. Let's look at this. And UBS at that time used to release a report on individual artists in, in, in Australia and how they're performing. And we picked them. And, and just like stock picking, you've got the emerging artists, you've got the mid-career artists, and you've got the blue-chip artists. Yeah. And we started to look at art. And then, as, as you probably know, Peter, that in the last 15 or so years, uh, and we, we were the pioneers in Australia, certainly, with this, um, the, the, the banks, particularly the private banks, have all picked up on it because they've seen art. And particularly if you buy well and you, mm. 
you buy good artists, uh, the performance levels are, are very good. Um, you know, depending on what study you look at, but, but, and, and what category, but the compound asset growth rate, uh, you know, this is, a, this is the Deloitte study. It, they, they estimate it to be between 2% and 9% over a very long period. So, so Ralph, um, so Raj, how do you buy? How do you buy will? I mean, that's that's a bit <coughs> scary for uh, I think for a lot of investors who hear, you know, hear great figures about the return of art mm-hmm. as, a, as an asset class mm-hmm. uh, over the long term, and it has been really good. But how do you know how to buy well, and who do you turn to? And you know, if you know nothing about it, you just know what you like. Just just go through some the thinking there. That forget you say forget to buying what you would like, <laughs> for, and, and yeah, rely on the experts. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, and Ralph, jump in here whenever you want. But I would say, uh, how do you buy well? Is, is a very big question. But but you start by doing research. Mm-hmm. You 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 know there are indices out there uh, that you could follow. But but there for more specifically for Australia, uh, you've got the uh, you've got AASD Australian Art Sales Digest, which you can look at to see how artists are performing, what's happening in the auction market. A lot of it, as I mentioned before, is research, is to get out there. Uh, to buy well, you've got to look at a number of traits uh, uh, with the artists. Uh, you know, what kind of galleries representing them? Have they won any awards? Uh, are they having sold out shows? What are people writing about them curatorially? Mm-hmm. Uh, the press may pick, the, mm-hmm. pick up on them. As I said uh, before, that, you know, you, we kind of break our artists into three categories which is emerging yep. mid-career and, and, and blue chip. And obviously blue chip is less riskier yeah. than, than an emerging market. You pay more for them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The, I mean, that's the thing. And, yeah. and, and it's, uh, the, the interesting part is that Raj said about education. So there are the <coughs> indices like AASD where you can track all the secondary market, all the auction mm. results, so you can see... For the, for the actual artist. So for, for the artist and the artworks. Yeah, so because when I'm looking at it as a company, I can type in the ticker code and that mm. comes a chart of its performance uh, over absolutely. a week, a month, yeah, yeah. You know, a year. And, all that. and you can basically do the same for an you, artist. You can do that and you can do it on the world stage with mm. uh, um, artprice.com. These are all... Uh, mm. These are all websites that you can get categorizations and, and it goes into the different genres of art too. So you're in a blue chip artist, someone like John Olson for argument's sake, who sold up for a million odd dollars and, and on the primary market, in the gallery market, mm. much more than that as well. Uh, but you can also pick up a John Olson for a couple of thousand dollars and that's a multiple or a print and, and, mm. and each has a more, a more or less uh, tradability about it. But we're quite interested in those you know, soon to be strong mid-career artists uh, that if you can pick the point where they're really starting to capture the imagination of the buying public and they're committed to the cause, that can be quite an exciting time because you can see their prices, you know, jump from four or five thousand dollars to fifteen to twenty to twenty-five, thirty odd thousand dollars. But one of the things to be aware of is the control of the market and Raj mentioned about a strong gallery representation part of our role is to help manage the artists as so, well. So for, an, for a sort of a, I won't say a novice investor, but for a, someone who's new to art, thinking about the art market, maybe has a little more uh, creative uh, genes than I do, but let's throw someone in that Which category. Which is most people. Which is most people, right? Everyone, I think. Right? So of the, you mentioned sort of blue chip, um, mid-tier or mid yeah, mid, yeah, mid, yeah. T- mid-career, mid-career artists. and emerging. Emerging sounds probably the riskiest. 
And blue chip sounds the most expensive. Is it? Would you? Well, I think a combination. Yeah, I think a combination is quite interesting. It really depends on your budget. So, mm. if you wanted to dip your toe in the water with a certain amount of money, say let's call it twenty thousand dollars, then you know you're not going to get a major work by a blue chip artist. Yep. Okay. You, you you would you know in the case of Brett Whiteley, twenty thousand will get you uh, a good quality print, right? In good condition, but. And they have good resellability, yeah, particularly Whiteley, and and if they're in good condition. But you know, around Whiteley, it's making sure that it's a reasonably um, that's been well looked after. Mm. You know, because obviously he's been uh, deceased for a long time now, mm. and a lot of those works have been on walls in Sydney. Yeah. Some of them facing west, so they're well and truly faded. So, but with a print, does it? You also have to have like a limited number to get. Yes, them absolutely. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it, it would actually have a number like a lithograph, and it would be, and it would be written in pencil, yeah. not pen. And uh, on the world stage, it's a it's a massive market. It's also quite a nice way to get involved on an aesthetic side of things. Yeah. But if you're going to start spending, personally, in the Australian market, I think if you're going to start spending ten to fifteen thousand. I would prefer you to be looking at um, more original works, paintings, uh, because I think that apart from the personal enjoyment of it and the experience of all of that, you are participating in the careers of artists, which is one of those uh, uh, really strong... So these would be 10 to 15, these would be emerging... Oh, no, you can get pretty strong mid-career artists around 10,000, 15,000 mark too. Okay, I'm going to put you under pressure, guys, because, you know, know, Paul and I have to... Well, we do. We do want to put you under pressure. Yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I preface the question. But Paul and I, yeah, they put pressure on us to pick stocks and companies that are going to come good. And uh, when Afterpay did very well and it... Did very well, and I taught Anthony Eisen, who found it. That really cheesed me off because I wasn't in afterpay. But I then interviewed Zipco, and and when the the share price is quite low, and it's done well since then. So I feel as though my you know involvement and my at least introduction <coughs> of that company to our listeners resulted in some people who might have thought, yeah, let's get involved. That's the kind of thing we want you to do as well. So can you give us an, a, a, a yeah, memory of, of, a, of an artist you jumped on maybe five years ago and thought, this guy's got potential, this woman's got potential, and they lived yeah, up to yeah, it? Yeah, I, I, look, the, in, in the primary market and, yeah. and, and then developing in the secondary, I mean, the, one of the great success stories uh, we've been involved with over the last four to five years has been a fellow by the name of James Drinkwater. Mm. He came on board in 2014. I... Uh, for want of a better term, he was very much on my radar or our radar uh, and a lot of collectors' <laughs> radars as well. But I, I basically stalked him till I managed to be at the same barbecue and run into him and have yeah. a chat. And lovely guy. Hard, got, hard to miss, Ralph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he ran into me. No, yeah. but, but the, uh, the, the, the thing about him is he's got all the components that you look for and he had an original uh, way of looking at, at the world and he was passionate about his his purpose in life which is to be an artist and he was willing to sacrifice absolutely everything so if it was a choice between buying paint and food paint mm. paint was the one and and uh, he started to be exhibited in a number of art prizes so Brett Whiteley traveling scholarship he eventually won that which is the biggest you know most famous young artist award in the country yeah. uh, given the nod by Wendy Whiteley and away mm. we go so we signed him then at that time his average price was about Four and a half, five thousand uh, dollars. Since then, he's had three sellout shows. He's uh, shown at um, 
Uh, he's just had a major uh, survey show, we call it. Uh, others might call it retrospective, but a lot of people saying he's too young for a retrospective. Yeah. But he's only 35, but mm. broke all the records at Newcastle Regional Art Gallery. Um, many thousands of people uh, have been through it. He's been money in the Newcastle area now. Well, that's right. Yeah, but it's, so he's he's the favourite son of Newcastle. Mm. You know, there's no doubt apart from the Johns brothers. And then uh, and then uh, he's uh, but he's also had a solo show at Sydney Contemporary Art Fair and and the the average price now for a for a a, a good size work is around twenty five thousand okay. dollars. So and we're seeing good trading of his work. Yeah. Um, and, and fair to say we've got a waiting list for his oh, work. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the, the, there are very interesting things happening and he's been collected by some major institutions yeah. as well. So all those things bolt together. So we're looking down the track of this year and going, okay, well, who, who are the artists that we've got coming up that are really exciting? And there's yeah. a number of them. You want to um, name names? Oh, I'm happy to. I mean, there's a there's a couple of artists. I mean, uh, interestingly enough, for people who keep an eye on the Archibald Prize, it's a fellow by the name of Jonathan Dalton, who will be taking to Melbourne Art Fair um, in the middle of the year. He's he's extraordinary. He's an Irish fellow, and since he's been eligible to enter the Archibald Prize, he's been hung. A photorealist, but very uh, eloquent, very clever man, and uh, does some really beautiful. Um, uh, works and and there is a waiting list and essentially it's the best part of six to twelve months to get a work. Mm. Um, if he gets hung in the Archibald Prize again, there'll be a, a heck of a lot of attraction. Jun Chen uh, was runner up in the Archibald Prize. Shows with um, uh, Queensland Gallery, uh, Philip Bacon, one of the the great old galleries, and most of his shows sell out within a couple of um, couple of days. And, and, and do pe people take you guys out to lunch on the basis they won't get to the front of the queue of some of these paintings? Oh, you're unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, right. just go through some of the practicalities of owning yeah, sure. art. So, uh, look, obviously insurance. But what, do, you, do you hang on to it? Do you leave it in a gallery? What If you if I had $20,000 to invest, I come to you guys and you say, look, we work out this and a really exciting um, mid-career artist, maybe yeah. emerging to yeah. mid-career. Yeah. Buy a piece of art. What do I do? What happens next? Yeah. Well, good question, Paul. I mean, uh, it, it, it depends. Uh, we we have a lot of clients who are, who are purely collectors, and and even though we say collectors, they they always want good value mm -hmm. for for what they're purchasing. Yeah. So so they, they they'll buy and they may hang uh, in their house. A lot of our clients used to buy in self-managed super funds, but that's become quite complex now, particularly uh, insurances mm -hmm. and and destroying so it away. Yeah, that's stuff, it. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely right. Um, but uh, it, it, we also have uh, the ability to create portfolios for our clients. Mm -hmm. so, so like like you do in stockbroking, uh, we can create portfolios, which then we have a corporate rental side of our business. So what we do is, so if you come in and you buy, let's say, a portfolio worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, which may be two or three artworks, or, or it might be just simply two, we then take that portfolio and we rent it out to the corporate market. So if you walk down quite a few of the lobbies here on Clarence Street or uh, George Street, uh, any of these, in the lobbies you'll see artworks that are hanging that have been provided by Nanda Hobbs. We don't own those in, in majority mm -hmm. of the cases. Mm -hmm. Our clients own them. We get a rental return and then we pass on right. uh, apart so, from so a small big margin. So corporates and lawyers Correct. And, mm. are effectively... Accounting firm, barristers. Accounting firm. And we go to their mm. lobby or their foyer, you see a lot of... 
hotels. Pictures, we've, hotels. We've, we've done a lot in hotels as well. Often, yeah. oh, it's often owned by a collector through you who's Correct. hanging there. And presumably the collection changes a bit, does it? They alter the art. Well, they, 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 they roll things around yeah. and, you know, and that's part of the attraction for corporates to do yeah. that. And it's not on their balance sheet. And in these times, it's not a bad thing. Um, the taxes act all expense, I guess. Yeah, as well. yeah. And, yeah. And, and the other the other thing, though, when you're talking about a portfolio, you might say, okay, in that situation, I've got $20,000. You might say, okay, let's make the 15000 work really well. We'll pick a really good mid-career artist, say someone like, in our stable, someone perhaps like Aaron Canane. Beautiful work. We suspect uh, over the course of the next couple of years that we'll see some intrinsic price rises, generally selling quite strongly, very attractive work, uh, and and has a good uh, feel for for most spaces. So, um, so you might put fifteen thousand dollars there, and that can generate an income stream to you. Uh, and then five thousand might be on a slightly more speculative uh, item. And and you mentioned the Western Wall getting the sun. If if I am a collector, mm. can uh, I apart from the Western Wall perhaps? Is there, if I want to put it in my house, do I have to do anything else? I mean, just just to. It really depends on the work, you know. Yeah. So if it's, or, if it, or would I make a big mistake by doing that? Because of... I, I, I think so. I mean, the, the great thing about art is a, it's a conversation, and with all the the situation of the world going on, we're having a lot of conversations around, mm. you know, what does the coronavirus mean for for all businesses yeah. and, and people generally? And I I think in times like this, you find that people tend to turn inwards, and they want to make make their own environment uh, an yeah. enjoyable place to be because, you know, often they might have to spend at least 14 days in it. But, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things that I've found in these sort of situations that having an interesting collection of art um, is something that you can engage with and it's and it and it's a longer it's a longer experience yeah. than than just a, a, a news break or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, so, I'm just thinking there's going to be a lot of Australians who will not be actually... Um, Going overseas, and they might be spending twenty, thirty thousand on a holiday. Yeah, yeah. Who might turn around and say, "What? Well, I'm going to buy a bit of artwork." Well, uh, the, well, the good thing about even it, with yeah. you know, the other partner, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. and and I, and I think the the longevity of that is a really fantastic you know um, opportunity, and I think it's quite important too for for the country. Mm. And I, yeah, I'm a student of of art history, and and watching major moments, you know, whether it be wars or or um, you know, key, September 11? Yeah, September 11, um, you know, even the GFC. Uh, I, I know personally when the GFC hit, I switched off all the TV, didn't read the newspapers for a couple of days and, and just, you know, every time I got home, I just looked at the art on the wall and thought, you know what, at least if everything else uh, goes bad, I've got this. It mm. is a hard asset. You're affecting my ratings during that period. <laughs> <laughs> now, a couple of quick questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does the old Buffett piece of advice, you know, be... Um, greedy when everyone's fearful, and be fearful when everyone's greedy. Work with artwork as well. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm quite a, a fan of that. I think there's great opportunity around at the moment. Um, yeah. I know that everyone's quite, quite reserved in their yeah. committing to things, but we're very bullish about it. Um, okay. I see great opportunity to pick up good works, and also the preparedness of everyone to. To do okay. a deal, you know, okay. and then I think Peter, you 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 probably know her Paul you too. The, the the best that there's a mentality here that people think, oh well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll stop, I'll buy, uh, I'll get rid of my art portfolio or whatever because I need the money. Although uh, 
physically they're un- sitting on unrealized yeah. equities yeah. losses they're not physic uh, they, they haven't uh, what, what did they call them? They, they haven't realized them. Yeah, realized their losses. Yeah, yeah. so, so mm. sitting on them. But we've got, we got one really difficult uh, uh, admission to make. See, I'm a friend of Tim Olson's, and I'll be interviewing John, you know, fairly soon. Fantastic. But, you know, as a, a young idiot, <coughs> I always thought, buy artwork where the artist is going to die to make money. Yeah, of course, you know, John is one of the oldest artists <laughs> in the world. Are there, are there terrible people out there taking a punt that eventually John's going to pass away, oh, therefore uh, the value of his art's going up? Absolutely. I would have thought there were low-lifes out there who thought what I thought. Now, I think, I think one of the interesting things, someone like, uh, someone like John who's been, been around for a long time and, yeah. and uh, is an extraordinary, extraordinary artist, an extraordinary important artist as well. Yeah. But from a price point of view, I... I personally feel that it's priced in. Yeah. You know, he's in his 90s. It's so been for you for 30 years. Well, well that's living good it's on him. still alive, you know. <laughs> yeah. no, but, and it's fantastic <laughs> and he's still sharp, but yeah. but here is an interesting thing. So if you're looking at Olsen's work and um, and I bear in mind I, I love his work. I think yeah. he's a, I think he's a fabulous yeah. artist. I think some some of his works have been better, certainly larger scale in oils. I yeah. still think some of the watercolours are superb. Yeah. It really becomes a scale thing now. Yeah. So, And you can see that in certain certain yeah. artists. And, and, and also, it's not just an age thing, but if you have a look at, uh, say, Brett Whiteley, for argument's sake, and, yeah. and the areas where he, or the times when he was painting, when he was under you know, some pretty intense influences of mm. you know, pharmaceutical help, yeah. um, they're, they're frankly, I don't think, as good as the other times. So you've just got to be aware of it. And that's getting back to the point about education, you know, uh, and and also not too good to be true, you know, yeah. from price point. Anyone wants to see Grant Olson walk into the Commonwealth Bank in Melbourne and see that big yellow um, painting. Oh, there. it's fabulous. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knock out any Australian, anyone in the world. Yeah. Uh, anyway, before we go, guys, um, people do need to learn about art and you guys have this free ebook uh, investing in art why and how on the nanda hobbs that's n-a-n-d-a capital h o-double-b-s dot com dot au website well done guys thanks no, for coming no to dot au by the way no, it's, it's no dot au <laughs> it's just well let's do it again nanda hobbs dot com you got double promotion there yeah. well done guys the, the, the new Macquarie guys always <laughs> a hang of promotion the one the one Thank thing you. that is as part of your ongoing education uh, that is worth doing is subscribing to uh, Art Dash yeah. which is comes out um, around about every six weeks or so is that Art D A S H yeah Art Dash yeah yeah D A S SH and uh, and that's a really snappy read just about what's going on, um, it, and it's it's broader than us. So uh, that's well worth keeping an eye on. Thanks for joining us on the program. Pleasure. Thank Thanks, you very fellas. Much. Once again, it's time for a word from our sponsor, and the Switzer organisation is the sponsor. Now, Paul, I don't like sort of blowing my own trumpet, so I'll let you do it for me. Let's talk about that great book of mine called Join the Rich Club. Well, it is a fantastic book of yours, Peter, called Join the Rich Club. Yep. Tick. Uh, Fortunately, we had a fantastic sort of, I won't say assistant editor, but a contributor, a contributor the name of one, one P. Paul, Rickard. P. Rickard, yeah. yep. Yeah. Okay. That's what makes it such a brilliant book. Yeah, you, right? you did the superannuation yeah. chapter, didn't you? And, <laughs> and, and, and then, a little bit more. All the, yeah. I'm not sure it was actually factually right, okay? So that yeah. uh, 
look, I, anyhow, well, I turned What you from- did, you tested out some <laughs> of my propositions and occasionally found that they needed to be tweaked, which means... Well, I turned them into English, right? Okay. Well, I think, I think it started off as English, but at least... Oh, look, okay. Occasionally, you, you do correct the English. But two, eye, two sets of eyes are better than one. Two sets of eyes are better two than one. Two views on yeah. how to get rich, you know, good yeah. as well. And look, it's not just... It's not, uh, just um, I mean, I think the, the market for this is much... Uh, obviously, not, not just for investors, but, you know, we all know that uh, I've got, I've got uh, kids and, and grandkids mm. and... Uh, you know they need help. They yeah. need help getting started. So we've we've uh, when we say join the rich club, this is about a planning and what the steps you take to sort of go from being you know, a normal person, being a normal person, to being really to, money savvy. Yeah, money savvy. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's why it's titled about joining the rich club. It doesn't mean we're going to make you super rich, but mm. it does mean that you know, your kids, your grandkids, yourself get yourself on a plan to actually making sure that your financial future is secure, yeah. and you're doing everything to position yourself for. You know, so when when you do retire, or if you, or, or if you are retired already, you don't have to worry about the financial yeah. side too much. And, and the bottom line is this, Paul, and you, you've learned it on the job in, in the stuff that you did. You know, starting businesses like Comsec and whatever, and working in the money industry. The bottom line is, we learn a lot of this stuff at the coalface. What we've tried to do is all the knowledge that we've picked up over the years at the coalface, because. I, I didn't learn much for, at university about making money. I learned, up, I learned about economics, but not making money. Has, has been basically thrown in this book, and I think it's very readable, and it's uh, a good chance to educate young people, but also I think it helps mums and dads close their ba- branch of the bank of mum and dad as yep. well. It's only uh, $24.95, and you get it from switzerstore.com.au. Switzer Store Singular. I don't know why singular. We should have had Switzer stores. We, we don't have two stores. We don't have one. Switzer store. But it is. It, but yeah, we're getting in the way here. It's switzerstore.com.au. Our next guest is a young woman who's dedicated her life to actually encouraging other women to get interested in engineering. Her name is Felicity Fury. Welcome to the show, Felicity. Thanks for having me. So, Felicity, tell us about your background, how you got started in engineering. Sure. Well, engineering wasn't something that I ever heard of. My dad did journalism, my mum was an artist, and it wasn't until my year 12 physics teacher suggested that I had even considered it as something to do as a career. Mm. Okay, so what what have you actually done with your engineering? Because, yeah, you, you have businesses, so why don't you tell us about the businesses that are related to your engineering background? Yeah, sure. So when I uh, walked into my first engineering class, I definitely noticed that there weren't many women or people like me. Uh, There was about uh, 12 girls in the class of 120. And that didn't really change throughout my career. And I love being an engineer, but I didn't love that there wasn't that diversity in the workplace. So I thought, I want to do something about it instead of just you know, complaining. I thought, what action could I take? So I started a not-for-profit to get more girls into engineering and we run free one-day events for girls and regional students to learn what engineering is and shift their perceptions about these kinds of careers. Okay, so what's the name of this not-for-profit group? Good question. It's called Power of Engineering. Mm. And the idea is to show students that you have the power to change the world through engineering. Okay, so tell us about you know like the, the track record of the of the organisation and, and what you, you've achieved to date. 
Yeah, so really surprising. After our first event, we noticed a big shift in perception. We had 57% of the girls who came change their mind from a no to a yes about engineering careers. So we thought we don't want to just stop at one event, let's do more. So that first year we ran 10 events around Queensland and since then we've expanded the organisation to be in Tasmania, the Northern Territory, Victoria, New South Wales and still operating in Queensland and we've reached over 10,000 students across 130 events and we still find actually the the numbers are better. We get 77% of students change their mind from a no to a yes about engineering, which is pretty cool from just one day. Mm. So Felicity, um, why is it important that um, women and girls and other minorities uh, are represented within the so-called STEM or science, technology, engineering and... um, and, uh, What's the M bit? Oh, I was thinking about the M. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe maybe Felicity can tell us (laughs) what the M is. Maybe she can tell me. Yeah, well, it's really important because engineers and scientists and mathematicians and technologists we design the world around us. And if we're having the same kinds of people designing our world, then we're not going to get a perspective from everybody. So some examples are right now, uh, the flu, flu vaccine is actually designed on male physiology. And so women are more likely to have an adverse reaction to the flu shot. Or if you're a woman working in a standard corporate office, you might feel it's a bit colder and that's because it's about five degrees off for you and air conditioning is designed on the basic metabolic rate of a 40-year-old man. So there's a lot of things in our world that are not designed for both genders. Right. And so by having you know different genders and different cultures in engineering, then we're going to actually get a, a world that really works for everybody. And presumably it's best to get the best talent from wherever it comes. Is that sort of the... The, the, the sort of the, the other argument that needs to come out? Well, yeah, of course, we want really amazing people to be engineers. But I think if we look at, you know, the best talent, then often women can feel like, oh, maybe I'm not, um, like I certainly felt like I wasn't smart enough to be an engineer and um, they can feel like it's not for people like them. So I think if we say, you know, oh, we need to attract the best talent, for sure we need great people in engineering, but we also need to be mindful of not switching people off by sort of saying it's for really smart people or, or that kind of perspective. Okay, before we go on, you still haven't answered the question. STEM, S-T-E, ah. the M. What's the M bit? Mathematics. Uh, mathematics. I, see, I, I, I got it right off there before Hestan and Felicity <laughs> yeah. just had one of those I, senior I was, moments. I was, I was going to go <laughs> metallurgy, but yeah, because that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's often a very male-oriented type area. And I guess, I guess the bottom line is what you're saying, Felicity, is it's not a gender thing, engineering. It really is an aptitude and um, the, the kind of, like, for example, someone who um, majors in, say, for example, ancient history and Latin is probably not likely to be an engineer. You kind of think if you're strong in sciences and mathematics, engineering is probably a pathway you should consider. Yeah, if you're strong in math and science, engineering is, is absolutely a pathway. But actually, ancient history was one of my favourite subjects at school, and I also loved art. And actually, having that combination of art, history, and physics really helped me be an engineer. Oh, you're because... such a show-off, really, Felicity. <laughs> what a show-off. But go on. I, I think the other thing so, is, is Peter yeah. is, is so, so traditional, oh, and um, yeah. he can't cope with that. So, Felicity, just show-off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I think 
challenge with conceptual is that you have to be good at maths and science to be a good engineer. And sure, that helps. But we also need people in engineering who are good with people so that they can communicate those ideas. And our projects are getting more complex. So there's going to be a bigger need for people who are a little bit different and not just the pure maths and sciences in engineering. Yeah. I've got to say, I've always believed that being able to do mathematics in engineering is really important. And, and it, it occurred to me when I watched that very old film from the Great Depression when the Sydney Harbour Bridge actually met in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I thought if an arts graduate did that calculation, it could have been a really, a really bad join point. Oh, gee, I wish I was good at mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is very important that we have a sound foundation so that our buildings don't fall down and our bridges still work. Yeah. So how does your foundation work, Felicity? What do you do in terms of uh, trying to encourage uh, young women into uh, pursuing engineering and other technology and yeah. mathematical pursuits? Well, the key thing is showing them what engineering really is, that connection with the real world, and showing how they can make a difference for people. And once we show the impact you can have and how you can help people, the students really love it. So we also make sure that they're getting hands-on, they do site tours, they do workshops, and we have about an hour of talking to the students, which involves uh, keynote speakers and role models for the students, but really it's about the students trying it for themselves and seeing what it looks like in the everyday workplace. Mm. Do, do you think before people understand what engineering entails, see, I, I think most people think engineers are people who actually just, you know, go and plan to build a bridge or, you know, uh, you know build a highway and stuff like that. And, and they, they're involved in that sort of thing. But there's so many aspects to engineering, like, for example, engineering design. And that, that can be a, a really good place for a creative person. Definitely. There's over 30 different types of engineering and it could be, you know, food engineering, chemical engineering, um, you know, social engineering. And that's it. There's so yeah. many different, so many different types. And I think that's another misconception is people don't really uh, understand the variety of the profession. And for me, I spend most of my time speaking with people, negotiating and communicating. And in my current role, I don't really do a lot of that, you know, foundational mathematics, but I work with a team who does do that. Yeah, okay. So um, that's fantastic. I, I, before I wind up, just quickly, what is your most favourite engineering feat of all time? What, what really is something that you think normal people should really respect? Oh, I've, I feel like it's a bit of a classic one, but I think going to into space and landing on the moon is pretty cool. Yeah. And I love that there was a lot of incredible women who did the calculations to make that happen. So I think it would be awesome if we could uh, have another feat like that again. And it's pretty cool because while it might seem like, oh, that's something fun and exciting, you know, satellite technology and space technology has made a big impact on our everyday life as well. What about you, Paul? What's your uh, favourite well, I, I remember seeing the film. I thought that was a great film. I'm just struggling to think of... Um what, what hidden figures? Yeah, hidden figures. That's what. Um, look, the Harbour Bridge is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, particularly the film of that coming together. I yeah. think you're right about that. And the Opera House, like, like, you know, Utzon, he was he was out there, wasn't he? And the engineers who made it happen, quite short. In fact, Sydney uh, Opera House figures in an episode of Better Call Saul. You know, when a guy was in the in a bar with a German engineer who's building a drug lab underneath um, a chicken uh, f a farm, he his father actually well in the in the uh, episode he, he said his father worked on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And engineers, I think, right around the world, think that was a feat of unbelievable engineering. Yeah, 
Well, we could see what you've been watching at home <laughs> <Yeah>. recently. Yeah. <laughs> Any work to do? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm actually thinking about using Better Call Saul to, to, to create something called Better Call Paul to, to rate you much more high than you currently are, Paul. Anyway, uh, Felicity, sorry for getting, getting you involved in our little uh, spits and spats here, but it's been great to talk to you. What's your website if people want to learn more? Uh, powerofengineering.org and I love inspiring students and I've also got a personal website which is felicityfury Okay, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. That's Felicity Fury from Power of Engineering. Well, he's always an interesting guy, Jerry Harvey and of course it's a very appropriate time to be talking to Jerry with um, the coronavirus clearly affecting retail right across the country. Paul, before we go, when are you going to start buying stocks again? Look, I've done some dabbling, Peter, and uh, now it's got a bit of a cash flow problem. I'm uh, running out of cash to invest. But look, Poor thing. Uh, I think this is sort of a market to sort of start to, is to dabble in. I mean, mm. I, I think probably too early to call it a bottom, but maybe we're starting to see a bit of a bottoming process. We're going to have a few ups and downs and so forth, but mm. uh, it's been a big drop. And yeah. uh, unless you believe the fundamental scenario has changed, and I don't, mm. not with, you know, employment's still okay, we've got to have some blips for the next two or three months, people are going to do it really tough, but I think there's a way out of this. We've just got to get to the way out of it. Yeah, I, I just hope the stimulus um, kicks in really strongly and uh, the infection rates come off the boil. If that happens, we can buy. Thank you.